Hi, and welcome to the Miseducation of VSLP. I am Ingrid, one of your hosts. And I am Ashanti, your other host. And we are back for episode 22. Oh, snap. Is it 22? Yes, it's 22, because I did 21 solo like an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Ayala still has not made her return at this point. Um, we are just going to cruise with me and Miss Shanti until, you know, the tires come off. You know, we just we just out here living rugged. And that's how we like to keep it. <laughs> <laughs> so we circled um, around some topics to kind of break into for this next segment because, you know, I kind of go in those series of sevens as I tell my little story and then we move into some type of tradition. And and in last one, it was like talking to our brothers and sisters in different disciplines. And this one, I think um, we wanted to move in a space of like understanding diversity within the SLP um, arena. Yes, I'm using the word <laughs> arena. Hello. Yeah, I said it. Just be aware. Uh, so I was published back in 2020 with the discussion of being a black SLP. And I actually interviewed a black SLP for this episode because I wanted to give a different point of view at this point about how we're talking about, uh, SLPs and diversity and just, just the whole, whole point of view of it all. Um, Asha, and universities all around are trying to create these uh, discussions about diversity. And we as, as people of, of minority, myself as, as a Haitian, you know, daughter, and although I've lived here my entire life and I was born here, um, there's this blackness component to me being brought up in this country and then there's the woman component of me and then there's Ashanti who she can tell you her story (laughs) uh Puerto Rican born overseas raised on military installments throughout my life and I don't speak with an accent so yeah and so when we're like oh we want to be speech language pathologists that is 92% white. <laughs> like, yeah. We really we were some of the darkest ladies in the in the room. <laughs> um yeah, 92%. I, you know, I actually had more brown in my class than I had considered, you know, there was another uh classmate of ours that was there. She was yeah. also Haitian, but she was the fairer of the Haitians. Yes. And um, I will forever think Ayala is kind of, you know, a little bit because she's Jewish. So there's like something other about her as well. Like, I always feel like she's got an other story, too. She's not just part of the 92 in so many ways because of what she has to deal with in terms of her religion and her country. So we did have, we did yeah. have a pretty diverse cultural mixture in, in our classes. Although the entire profession itself was the, you know, 90, 92% white. Yes. And I still remember the whitest 
like crowd I dealt with and the people that I spend time with. But I had a girlfriend, she was white for all intents and purposes in the mainstream type of way, but I just felt like she was like my soul sister. <laughs> I know exactly who you're talking about. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna just call her Jay. Jay. <laughs> <laughs> I remember you were like, she had she had a a, a custom uh, a license plate on her car, and one day you were like, "Girl, you so black." <laughs> I will never forget that connection. The girl was just, she was my squad. (laughs) Shout out to Jay Witt. (laughs) Okay. You know, for all intents and purposes, that was like, you know, my connection to, um, you know, that, that realm of SLP. But she was just such a down person that I, you know, I think that our program was really interesting and um, I just always felt like everyone kind of understood in a sense of being on the outskirts of something. Mm-hmm. And I loved I loved that about our program. Even when I connect and talk to people from our program, I still feel that same vibration. You know, um, one of the people that I interviewed for this was a, f- a friend of mine from college. It, it, there's just that really rich and she would be more that definition of, you know, with a wonderful spouse and she's blonde and beautiful and successful and she's doing all these great things. But at the same time, she's just still really down woman. Like she's just, she's groovy in a way that she can understand doing appropriate and, you know, what I would call patient-centered focused type of care. So um, really understanding of different concepts, different people and how we all need to make our adjustments. Like I just, I liked that about UCF. It seemed to produce those types of clinicians, um, at least at the time that I was there. Yeah, I'm thinking, I'm not sure how, you know, how diverse the classes that were after us were, but, you know, the program itself is, has seems to have really kept its, uh, its value and, yeah. Go Knights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for life. So anyway, we were discussing this. And so when I interviewed um, this wonderful, educated SLP who had been practicing for the last two years, um, it was a privilege for me because I felt like, you know, the next phase of what will be in the diverse or alternative scope of the SLP movement is seated in what she accomplishes because there's social media, there's, um, you know, business minded individuals that are creating things that are getting more exposure. That movement of the younger SLP that I'm seeing, if I were much younger, maybe I would be part of it. Um, fresh out the gate, just doing great things. Whereas I'm excited about my social media page until I completely fall off of it because I became a too busy woman. <laughs> but I decided to kind of understand what it was like in the next phase of SLPs because when I wrote my article about the Black perspective, that's 12, 10, you know, that's 10, 11 years into it. 
this is two years in, and I just wanted to understand. And so I'm going to break it down for you, Ashanti. You ready, girl? I'm ready. Let's do this. Yes, I'm going to get my Lauren Hill. Let me break it down for you again. (laughs) Yeah. So this SLP went to a PWI, which most people don't know means a predominantly white institution. And had lived actually most of her life in predominantly white environments because she was in a more affluent type of upbringing. Because of that, she was really understanding about assimilating so as not to stick out too tough. Now, this is where I think predominantly white middle class SLPs that are really ignorant to everything, they don't understand the fringe individuals, the people that stand on the outskirt of that middle of the lane movement that is the predominant space of SLPs, how much we spend our time from the beginning trying to understand and assimilate to white culture. Mm. Every single other, whether it be neurodivergent, whether it be homosexuality, whether it be Black, whether it be Latino, whether it be, um, you know, English as a second language, whatever other is joining the speech language pathology clinical perspective, the, the start to assimilate began long before we ever associated with this organization. So we're all very good at providing care to white people and white culture. Would you agree, Ashanti? Yes, I I will agree with that. To be what is considered normal or normative, which is represented in an overwhelming amount of data in the SLP pool of research, it, it is abundant in the spaces that look and sound like white America. And so because a majority of the interest lies there, SLPs, no matter what background, have all studied it and spend our time understanding how to treat it. And that is a very honest scope of what people that are coming into being SLPs what we're already understanding that we have a leg up because we know that we could provide the care to white people. It's all documented and centered based on the research. But what do you do when you're not represented in the research? That is the million dollar question. (laughs) This SLP found connection with her mentor who didn't necessarily grow up in the box of what would be considered the more affluent SLP. She was white, but she didn't come from a background that would indicate that she had a a father to take care of her, a husband or a brother, someone who would just support her. She was more on the rough and rugged side. And so she kind of clawed to get her to where she was. And she happened to be a professor um, of SLP in this predominantly white school and connected to this Black student without needing to read a single book on diversity and inclusion. (laughs) Just kind of understood that authenticity was required. 
but you are a human and I'm a human and we've been through things. Let's talk about those things. And let me not take things personal when you're talking about your own personal experience. So she had this wonderful, beautiful dynamic with this woman who also offered her the opportunity to meet a mentor that was the same um, background as she in terms of black cultured so that they could connect in a new and unique way. And that was, that was a professor that she had in college. Isn't that fantastic? That's amazing. So she's in this space of being supported in an environment of a PWI. And still when she comes into this, um, she was highly surprised at the level of racism she experienced, which I found interesting. Did she go into specific examples or like, you know, um, experiences? I shouldn't say examples, but experiences. One particular thing stuck out to her um, was when a SLP kind of made a comment about one of the family members of a, of a child that was coming in, indicating that that person was a wigger. Oh, no. Yeah. And then saying, I shouldn't have said oh, that. Oh, <laughs> and then you follow it with, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, which unspokenly communicates to me, these sort of thoughts and comments go through your head every day, all day. So I can only imagine what you're saying when you're not speaking. <laughs> she absolutely said that she was offended by this. Good. And, um, you know, it was something that she strongly considered was just this like ignorance, it, this stupidity, this almost like hatred. But then I remember 1990s when I used to say wigger when I would look at Eminem. Mm. And I was like, did I say that thing out of hatred? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was laughing his way to the bank. I mean, <laughs> Oh, but I don't know that I was using that term out of hatred. Right. And I don't think that this girl, and I had already, I mean, I explained it even within when she was talking to me, I had that question, like, she's using this term that immediately communicates an image in your brain. When you hear that word, what do you immediately think? It's a caricature. It's not a real person. Right. But it does give you an image. And if this man is representing that image, or if this woman is representing that image, because I don't know which it was um, now that I'm, you know, thinking about the story. But if that is what's being communicated, you do understand that caricature. Right. So is it the appropriate language to use so that you see the same picture? Does it bother you? And To be bothered by that, I always ask myself, why? Why do I allow your point of view to be more important than mine? If you bother me, that means you're more powerful in the room than me with your opinion. If I get angered by you, isn't that what it means? That I've given you enough power to equal mine? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if I'm not bothered and I just understand that you think about things differently than I do... I don't agree with you. I don't agree with you using that term. I think that term can be really offensive in certain spaces. Mm-hmm. 
But I don't know that it would necessarily bother me because that literally did communicate a thought. It's messy being a speech pathologist. <laughs> I'm trying to think, you know, is was there a different way to have communicated that visual? How? You unless you're gonna go ahead and go down the down the details of it all to be right, correctly right. correct instead of just capturing it with one expression that maybe you shouldn't have said, but it's the honest representation of what you're visualizing and everybody in the room can understand it. And isn't that the purpose of communication? Right. Hate it, love it. It doesn't matter. Did it not get the job done? You know, and it's that question mark that makes me go, that's the problem with SLPs. In general, in general, there's all this shoulda, coulda, woulda, and and needs to, but we also need to challenge ourselves always. And this particular SLP is always challenging her point of view. And I love that about her. And she pushes other people to do the same. Hmm. So when we were discussing this perspective, um, about racism, she brought up some other things, you know, some things about just the overall way and tone and talk of SLPs and in that there is this intensity in which there's ignorance. And it's like, why aren't we in, why don't they have more interest in diverse spaces, especially when they treat their yeah. It's not just Spanish people that are treating Spanish people. <laughs> no, it is not. There are white people studying Spanish people. Why isn't there more behind it? Why isn't there more interest in those spaces? Correct. And uh, that's where I'm getting some level of of concern because there are researchers, black scientists within the speech language pathology world. They've also studied white people. They study black people too, but they study things that are outside of what's them. Why can't, why can't scientists do that across the board? Right. Why do they only have to study the things that are just interesting to them in the senses of what they're comfortable with. Why can't those scientists be interested in something that's completely different from them mm-hmm. and do a good job there? There is a very huge disparity in that. <laughs> um, I know, I, I know you didn't have a chance to look at the article I sent you today, Ingrid, but there, it does mention a 30 years, a uh, 30 year review of literature mm. where, where it's, it reported that about 46 articles were published in that time frame that included children that were bilingual out of the 30 year study 150 papers are published per year including monolingual kids 150 per year in that 30-year span, only 46 included children with children that spoke something other than English. 
that were bilingual. Yes. And how many children are in the United States? <laughs> what's the, what's the per, well, let's look at it proportionally. Yeah. Let's look at it proportionally. How many stu- how many children in the United States are bilingual? Well, what I'm trying to back up is that why is it that there's so many studies of the same, you know, sameness? True. You know, there we've we've got to study something else. We've got we've got to study something different. Well, I I mean I don't know I don't know that I would I don't know that I would indicate that, but I do understand like, but what is the proportion? Are, yes. Is it is it population proportion? Is it por- is it proportionate, proportionate to the population? To the population, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't think so because there are a lot of people that do not speak English as a first language right? Um, in this country. Right. So I do consider that it's probably grossly underserved in being something that we study. Um, one thing that I did understand from this interview with this Black SLP was that she indicated that whenever she's seen involvement of research or anything um, or advertisements or support in any way for diversity inclusion, there is a level of saviorism to it. Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) To help you, to bring you out of what you're in and bring you closer to what we are. Um, You know, it's this aspect in which we kind of put ourselves in such a favorable space that we end up developing learned helplessness from we we develop that in our in our people because we come in with the savior savior behavior we've got you we're we know how to get you there you english speaker that is secondary we will help you we will get you there we know what to do. We're going to bridge the gap. We're going to bridge the gap. Yeah. That does not allow for empathy. It doesn't allow for self-questioning. Mm. And it doesn't allow for self-doubt. Mm. And SLPs like myself, because I definitely had a hard time with that. Don't question what they do because to some degree there's evidence to support it or a structured little in the box coloring thing that they can keep, you know, everything aligned and they have the wob that they then create their goals from that they end up doing that like this very cookie cutter type of way that seems very simple that feels comfortable but it is an empathy and it isn't self-doubt and it isn't patient-centered and with understanding that this SLP was like, this is not okay. <laughs> <laughs> How did you feel as a Latina? When? <laughs> in what in what situation? 
in the sense of being, uh, you know, a participant in this career. Did you ever at any point turn around and go, I need to do research? I need to be a contributor to what is missing in the space of speech language pathology? Like what, what have you been feeling and thinking? One of, one of my main things is I don't go in calling myself a bilingual SLP because there is special training. There are certain considerations. There's a certification in order to be quote unquote bilingual SLP. I always would sell myself or call myself a Spanish speaking SLP. Um, And one of, and you know, you and I had a brief discussion prior to recording, you know, one of my biggest frustrations is when students are misdiagnosed or mislabeled. And it's just, (laughs) I don't want to go down that rabbit hole because we already did that you and I off, off the, off the recording, but it, it just, I feel perseverates the disparity of the child from a different cultural background having to play catch up or, you know, swim against the current. And, and I feel like there's not enough research. There's not enough training to right the wrongs that have been in place for so many years. Mm-hmm. I mean, where, where do we start? I'm going to be really honest. I don't care to correct it. Got it. Because it's not about correcting a journey that's already on its way. Mm-hmm. That is what Frederick Douglass initiated. And it went all the way up and through people for centuries. That could not get people to understand that racism is not okay. Mm. Still a problem. To this day. Still a problem. With eloquent orators across the board. (laughs) Explaining it intelligently with Mm. authentic books. And to this day, we are just in the American Psychological Association came out to apologize for contributing to racism. Hmm. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, y'all did not know. <laughs> what what is a what does an apology accomplish anyway? When were we subtle? Bragging rights. <laughs> I was right, you were wrong. How did you miss it? <laughs> when I look at our society and I think about this experience as a person of color with a long, rich history of how you can talk your way mm-hmm. beautifully, eloquently into the discussion of how certain things are just not okay to do anymore. From the inception, it was done badly. Yeah. And you're still doing it badly by small increments because we keep going, no, 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 no. No, no, like all the way human, all (laughs) the way, all the way, like all the way there, y'all. Let's get all the way to human. Can we get there? Or is that not even feasible? That's when you stop to consider yourself, like, are we really going to argue 
with what the SLP experiences, or are we going to create spaces where the SLP experience could be more? And I suspect there are lots of different channels that people move. I had this conversation in a group chat. There are SLPs that move with the idea that they're going to complain. And boy, there's a good majority of y'all out there. <laughs> y'all just spend your time on the internet just being upset. Don't affect not a one single change, but just want to complain. There is the SLP or the person, you know, however you want to look at it, because it could you could apply it across life. There's the individual that moves with the idea that I am going to be the Martin Luther King. And I am going to make sure that society shifts with me. Even if it's an inch, it is something. Mm -hmm. And it needs to be done. And then there is the SLP that's like, I'm going to go out here and get my joy. And I'm going to make space that all other SLPs can find their joy too. And we don't necessarily need to even totally engage in this space that you've created that is so toxic and unhealthy and inappropriate and needs so much education. Mm. Like, we're not even going to spend time here. We're going to go over here and we're just going to encourage as much as we can over yes. here. And we're just going to do our thing because getting upset over what you're perceiving or what you're perseverating as far as implicit biases or whatnot, it's just not worth my energy. Correct. So that's why I critically assess the idea that does a child have true detriment mm. from an SLP misdiagnosing him inappropriately because she's just too damn ignorant to understand that it is a language difference. <laughs> this is a child that is a English speaker, secondly, is a Spanish speaker primarily, and you diagnose this child with a language deficit instead of language. just English as a, as a second language, mm -hmm. because you've chosen to be so ignorant about this and not care about this subset of the population because it only makes up, what, 18% mm -hmm. or 30% if you want to take in Black people that are of the African-American vernacular or of the Caribbean descent or of the speaker of another language black, you know, there's all kinds of black in that. Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of, uh, of a Latino in that there's, there's just all these others in that aspect. So <clears throat> because the SLP doesn't think that 30% is worth or be is relevant enough, you're just going to label 30% of your possibility of patient content disordered. There's a 30% chance you have a disorder. So we're just going to go with it. Because 70% of the population um, is kind of falls in line with, you know, appropriate American English. Boom. 70%. Give or there take. It there it is right there. No matter what the culture is or whatever, because they've assimilated appropriately to speak. Right. Adequate and functional uh, uh, American English based on your interpretation of what that should look like. And so in that, 30% can possibly be labeled disordered because you didn't put any energy in that space. Now, does that cause harm? No, not in my opinion. 
it does mislabel somebody and cause them to have a life that I do not think is okay. Now, Ashanti. <laughs> we went on for like 40 minutes, I think, you and I. Ashanti has a very different opinion. I was heated. I, I was, I was, yes. Because okay. I, I look at the, I look at the grand scheme of things, how it, how it affects the student exponentially, you know, a wasted year of this, you know, that turns into this. And then now they're not even keeping pace with, with their, and we'll just say it with their white, you know, English only speaking counterpart. That, that, that's unfair because so many years ago, this person misdiagnosed or mislabeled the student. It, it's. But I mean, I was like, when I was thinking about it, I was like, when I was talking to this professional black SLP beautifully, mm-hmm. kind of circled back and she looked at, a, you know, she looked at me and she was like, but how functional are we being as SLPs? Which is even a groovier and a deeper and a much more interesting dialogue to me than mislabeling somebody that's because I'm like, you're right. How functional are we as clinicians? And sometimes you're like, for your example, your, your English as a second language passion project. (laughs) You're willing it into existence, huh? (laughs) Has functional language. Like functional because they have it in the space of their natural language mm-hmm. and we don't care about functional language in whatever capacity it can happen. I understand you have a lisp. You know who else has a lisp? Famous people, actors, you know? Yes. yes. Have we seen lifts on award shows of people speaking? Did they get speech therapy services? But did they die? (laughs) Yeah. How serious are we going to make something like this? Like, real talk. How far are we going to go in regards to uh, diagnosing individuals? That's the overextension of the savior complex. It's like, I'm here to take you to the better place. (laughs) Which don't matter. It does not at all 0% matter because the better place, I can still be famous and have a lisp. Right. I can still have a quality life and say my alls with a little bit of war. Like I can. (laughs) I I could glide. I could glide. I could glide. I could glide. I could liquefy it. (laughs) that's possible yeah those things are realities of our society you don't you're not really required to be a perfect you know computer ultimately and 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 at least this is when when i was working in california things are very very different over there it is a very peculiar state but ultimately even if a student had a lisp or, you know, had trouble with their R's or their L's or their S's, if it was just that one sound, we had to circle back and consider, is this detrimental to their gen- their participation in the general education environment? Is this lowering their grade? 
Is this causing them to not learn how to read? Is this causing them to not do their math, math calculations correctly? And if the answer is no, you don't put them on caseload. Boom, mic drop. You just don't. That's it. D-A-S-S-I-T, that's it. That's it, mommy. <laughs> but we know that because we understand functional communication is probably something that is made sense. Mm -hmm. Because when you're listening to your immigrant parent speak to you in functional English, that, you know, lights you up like a Christmas tree because they're like, Ingrid! <laughs> Ashanti! <laughs> when you're hearing that, you can understand that that Ingrid that rolls through the tongue, you, that, you know, that's normal. Yes. It's not going to be Ingrid, which yes. is what is produced yes. here in this country. You get it. You know why it's not like that. So functional communication becomes very easy for you to understand, but not for people not exposed to it. And so should I blame my counterparts for their ignorance? Should I expect more out of them because of the idea that history has already laid it out? Why do I think that they're more superhumans than their predecessors? Their predecessors never did anything better on their own. Every growth and every progress in this country that's ever been accomplished has been by the disenfranchised, never by the privileged. Mm -hmm. Bank on that. The privileged have never improved society for the benefit of the disenfranchised, never once. So what am I doing spending my time energetically pissed <laughs> that the privileged are not making room for the disenfranchised. Like what is, that is the dumbest thing I could do. It's wasted energy. I know I do it often. I waste my energy. But, okay. You know. As long as you understand what you're doing with it, but I <laughs> do not have that in my capacity today. What I want to do is talk, about creating spaces where progress can be achieved. And I do not think it is in shaming the privileged because they don't feel shame or want to and have any willingness to do so. It's why there's this understanding that white people will never participate very comfortably in diversity and inclusion because it does require this understanding that they didn't in the past, mm -hmm. which they don't want to accept because they want to feel like they've always treated people equally. They will never feel comfortable with the idea that they didn't. So they can't fully embrace it because they can never say that they did not do it. That way they have this like land of plausible deniability always. So <laughs> carry on, live that privilege, do things that, you know, shock and awe us, like have a white male 
be the president and a black woman be the CEO and blow my mind. Because that's what this organization just did to me over the last, you know, like, I'm like, wow, okay, all right. This is interesting. And that comes from the collective decisions of, of the people that are participating in ASHA. And I think that that's interesting. And I'm fascinated. And I'm looking forward to the direction of the organization because of that. But I'm also looking for the second part of this episode because I do know that this SLP had more to say and I did not share it all. And Ashanti has definitely more to say. Lord knows, Jesus. <laughs> oh boy. A lot a lot of my rants are off off uh recording. And that's okay. <laughs> well, we'll create more because I do think it's a valid topic. But let us really consider where we are in time and space and let us speak things that we can try to really create change in. Because at this point, the conjecture is just for entertainment purposes. And what I really want to be offended by is in spaces of things that I can make change in so that I can put my energy in something productive. And so- so, Ms. Shanti, I expect you to be making some changes because you sound mad upset. Well, when you're in the trenches and you see it happen, you know, more than once, it gets under your skin. It gets under your skin. Girl, she about to launch a new little missile out there. <laughs> Y'all get ready. Y'all get ready. Ashanti going to be like, hell no, we won't do it. <laughs> Oh man, can you can you see me with your picket picket thing with my picket sign and yeah. my, and my Puerto Rican afro? Just Gosh, busting in the wind. <laughs> claro que sí, papi. Claro que sí. <laughs> anyway, guys, thank you so much for listening. I know that. Um, We've had some ups and downs, but I love the fact that some of you continue to return and it brings me so much joy to have a family of individuals that think about coming back to visit us. So I appreciate you, every single one. And by all means, share when you can. Let people know that we're out here talking about the experience, you know? So write to us at the Miseducated SLP on Instagram or on Facebook. You could also email us at miseducatedslp at gmail.com. Either way, we'll be around. Um, and we look forward to listening to whatever you have to say, whenever you want to say it. We're here for you. And I hope you come back to listen to us. Until next week. Have a great week, everyone. Bye.